I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And uh, we're talking today about a book called The Huntsman by Judith Sanders. And she's written an amazing psychological thriller. Uh, You're going to love this discussion about the story and writing techniques. Uh, Unfortunately, Judith couldn't be here today, but her husband of 42 years, Frank, talks with us about all the cool stuff that he's experienced over time as uh, Judith wrote the book The Huntsman and uh, how she creates her stories. Great conversation. Good stuff. You're going to love this talk. And uh, by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and left a review. It's very simple. You go in there, you click on the link, and it'll let you uh, just say some nice words and uh, maybe give five stars. What do you think? That'd be so cool. Thanks for listening. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Judith Sanders was born and raised in New Jersey, where she spent most of her childhood exploring the great outdoors and dreaming of one day becoming a nurse. After graduating high school, she pursued her passion for health care and earned a bachelor's degree in nursing from Graceland University. The Huntsman is her fourth novel. Her first book, Crescent Vale, is a novel about germ warfare, which Heartland Reviews praised as a nonstop action based on the real deal by authors who should know what they are presenting. Other books by Judith, In His Stead and Starfinder. Uh, she was an Indie Excellence Award finalist for In His Stead and was shortlisted for Chancellor International Book Awards for Starfinder. She has been featured in interviews by dozens of news media outlets. Judith's dedication to her profession led her to work on the front lines in community hospitals and as a civilian nurse at the U.S. Army's Lead Infectious Disease Institute in Maryland, where she gained invaluable experience and knowledge that would shape her life and career. After raising three boys and moving around living in Somerville, New Jersey, San Antonio, Texas, Albany, New York, Frederick and Clarksburg, Maryland, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and Leland Wilmington, North Carolina, she and her husband finally settled in rural New Hampshire, where she found solace in the quiet lakeside days and evenings that inspire her writing. Judith's extensive experience in nursing has not only helped her develop a keen sense of empathy and understanding for people from all walks of life, but has also allowed her to draw inspiration from her writing, uh, for her writing from the stories of real people living and struggling through life one chapter at a time. Her best stories are a collage of bits and pieces taken from these experiences, creating a rich tapestry of characters and situations that resonate with readers of all ages. Uh, for more information, and we'll put this in the show notes, but uh, you go to uh, judasandersbooks.com. And uh, Frank Malinowski is Judith Sanders' husband of 42 years and was co-author of Judith's first book, Crescent Vale, a fiction novel about a hunt for a biologic weapons terrorist on the loose in the Middle East. Frank is trained as a medical virologist and 
had a career in the military, U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired, and then civilian pharmaceutical medicine developing vaccines to help prevent infectious diseases before retiring from practice in uh, 2022. In the course of Judith's novels, Dr. Malinowski has supported and facilitated the publication and promotion of her works. Frank has been a confidant to Judith in her writing and an early reviewer of her books. Judith is known for taking bits and pieces of real people she has met to mold the characters she writes about, uh, although Frank believes he was not a model for the Huntsman. <laughs> which is good. <laughs> Frank's first reaction after reading The Huntsman was to decide if he should hide the kitchen knife sets. You'll understand that more soon. Uh, he has a BA from Col- uh, Colby College, a PhD from Rutgers University, and an MD from Albany Medical College of Union University. A little bit about The Huntsman. ICU nurse Max Mason fears his pregnant wife is the latest victim of a serial killer who has terrorized their small New Hampshire town. The investigation is at a standstill as the prime suspect, Lincoln Raider is in a coma. In a desperate and unethical act, Max sits at Lincoln's bedside night after night, employing brainwashing techniques and subliminal suggestion to convince the suspect they are kindred spirits, hoping it will lead to a confession or at least a clue. When Lincoln awakes, he draws Max into a whirlpool of terror, deception, and violence, ultimately pulling Lincoln's wife and daughter into the vortex as well. Frank, welcome, and thanks for joining me today, and uh, say hi to everyone. Yeah, hi. Nice to be with you, Stephen, and my apologies from Judith. She's just, just a bit under the weather today. No problem. I wish her well, and uh, um, she's written a great book, and I'm glad that you're here to, to talk with us about this and and, and uh, the, the, her book called The Huntsman. So let's talk about why Judith started writing thrillers. I mean, what called her to this genre? Well, first, uh, this is the first time she's written a thriller, uh, but not the last, I'll, I'll say that. And and what drove her to this, I think, is a combination of events. Uh, uh, Judy is fascinated with serial killers, like so many people, uh, going back to the uh, end of the 1800s when the first serial killer emerged from New Hampshire. Um, but she's uh, also been from her career in nursing, been very curious about the psychology behind anyone who would do harm because she was always trying to do good. And I would say that um, she had a desire to expand her mark in writing. um, And she recognized the popularity of of psychological thrillers. So a couple all those things came together, I think, when she was actually listening to a TED Talk about subliminal messaging. And I mention that because it influence, It talks about the influence of, the, uh, uh, of hearing, actually, in the unconscious person, whether they're on, under sedation or in a coma. Um, and the fact that hearing is a very active sense in a, in a comatose patient, and even from her own experiences as a nurse, um, she has found people that woke up and, and uh, could describe things and conversations that they that were had around them while they were um, while they were unconscious. So she um, kind of combined all these things, wanting to do a psychological thriller, and maybe she could do something with. Uh, using the subconscious uh, or an unconscious subject, uh, in this case, a potential serial killer, uh, as a way to influence that person to uh, to confess, because it's actually hard to catch these killers. And so it was a new technique, if you will, to 
find a killer. Well, it's ex- it's an exciting book, and it uh, really kind of messes with your mind. And uh, I, I love uh, uh, it's it, it just couldn't put it down, and you keep wanting to try and figure out things and second guess, and it really starts making you question what you're thinking about here. So uh, good good stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, so Judith has written other books, and so this is not her first game. So what's her process for getting the story? And what I mean is, does she outline or does she start and then see where she goes? No, she very much is an outliner. Um, you know, and it's actually more than that. She carries a pad and pencil with her uh, and is constantly thinking about things relative to her writing. You know, she, she writes in, in these last 12 years or so has been living to write, to be honest. Uh and she, but she takes all these ideas and they come from all sorts of places and reviews them periodically. And from that, she's, I guess her first inspiration for any of the book is to pick a plot, right? You've got to have a plot line and there are only so many plot lines. So is it revenge? Is it adventure? Is it pursuit? Uh, and once she, she decides what the plot line is, she then starts to pick the main characters and make them into people. And what do I mean by that? She means she um, describes, writes down physical attributes, attributes, their birthdays, um, their names. And if they're going to be a villain, try to find a villainous name, you know, like Simon Legree is a pretty villainous name, right? Um, medical histories and, and really even or even goes to what are their flaws in their character right and importantly and we'll maybe we'll talk about this at some point these are not fairy tale fairy tale characters when she puts them together she really makes them into a, a person if you will uh, and then from that comes a detailed outline at that typically cannot be violated the only except and then after that multiple drafts the only exception to not violating the outline is if when she's rereading things um she has a list of what ifs that she's generated while she's been reviewing one or more drafts and she thinks about whether she's getting too predictable and so she'll go to her list, list of one ifs and say, well, let's throw this twist or turn in here. That's awesome. That's so cool. And, and you know, it's um, and what's really neat is that it, you can see how it pays off because, you, you know, you, you feel like uh, everybody's real. I mean, you don't there's no I'm like you're you're somehow a fly on the wall or you're the. You know, you, you, somehow you're there and you're witnessing history or something here as it's, as it's taking place. And it's, uh, it's very cool because it definitely works. Uh, all right. So did Judith have inspiration for the Huntsman? I mean, what made her say, hey, this is the story I got to write, especially after you talk about uh, writing notes down and stuff like that. This is cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- I think this, the scary thing for me with the Huntsman, and I didn't read it until it was done, <laughs> uh, was when Judy afterwards said to me, it was the easiest book she ever wrote so far. Um, and it was only one year, including the research she did to to get the book together. Uh, and for the, for Judy, this was uh, an improvement over her other books that took several years. Um, I'd say that uh, for her, she wanted to write 
uh, a psychological thriller, as I mentioned, because of her interest in this area. Um, but she didn't want it to just be about what a lot of other thrillers are like, where gore dominates. She has to have a little bit of that, but she's really not interested in this just being about the gore, right? Uh, and she didn't want to have mysterious forces that appear, you know, to uh, correct or change your interpretation of what was going to happen. But she was taking what she learned about the psychology of serial killers um, to explore that pathology. And especially in terms of their lives outside of the killing fields, if you will. Um, and the impact of being a serial killer on the lives of those around us. Um, and importantly, what may be needed to bring such serial killers to justice from the people who are around them. I will say she was, in, in her research, she was fascinated with the Othello syndrome. And I'll leave it to your listeners to learn more about that. But um, the last thing on, on this I'd say is she had a strong desire to be unique. I believe she succeeded. I think what, what you just said about you felt like you're there. She chose to do the book in a fair amount of first person. Um, and, and in that she gives you a view of that person and, and it's trying to make you see what she's seeing when she's imagining and imagining the book. And the last thing I think that that's core to what she does when she writes is you write what you know or what you learn. Right. And uh, that's why it's set in New Hampshire. And um, that was an, an important part uh, to her because she knows a lot about where we are living these days. Oh, it's it fits so well. And it's it just, it's, it's really well done. And we have, you know, one of the things you're talking about is, uh, you know, this, this idea of uh, um, kind of writing what she she knows or looking at, and it, it just really flows. You can tell that, I mean, the, the, one of the things, and I got to say this, one of the things I love about this, I, I've read a whole bunch of books over time. And, and, uh, uh one of the books that makes you wonder about yourself is one called, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, oh, yeah. as you understand the, um, <laughs> the viewpoint of the character. And it's cool because she's, she's gone into that world because her characters have, you know, there's different, ways they're coming from you know what they're thinking about how they're coming at, at what they're talking about and yet i think you have to kind of play and, and question your <laughs> okay who's the same character here <laughs> <You know? laughs> and well, we all have our flaws absolutely and yeah. so do her characters i love it. That, it, it you know let's talk first about the imagery of the title i mean the huntsman does it have anything to do with the character from the snow white tales Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, so because many serial killers seek attention, um, they leave calling cards at their scenes, you know, in the history of serial killers. And and Judy drew from the Brothers Grimm uh, to select a poison apple and the victim's heart left at the scene. And, and, it, and, ha and it, this has great imagery in not only the text, but actually in the book cover when uh, any of your readers go to pick up the book. Now, you know, the, so what's the comparison? In Snow White, there's an evil queen. She's driven by jealousy and greed and hires the huntsman to go kill Snow White. 
and return with her heart as proof of of uh, you know Snow White's death. Well, so what's different about Judith's novel is that Judith's huntsman has actually succeeded where the Queen's huntsman failed. Now, as you, as you may know, when you if you read when you read the prologue of the huntsman, Judith also allowed herself to express or I should say to comment on how savage the Snow White story is. And I think she's questioning the life lessons children may be taking from fairy tales, especially the grim fairy tales, uh, like Snow White, you know, talking about, uh, you know, dipping the apple in the brew and let the death seep through. I mean, that's, you know, that's maybe a little too much for our children these days. You got that right. That's a, it's a whole whole bunch of those stories that you kind of look at, and, and Snow White is one of the one of those right at the top there, where you have the I mean, just the concept of bring back her heart. I mean, it's like wow, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so and uh, but uh, good stuff. So you know, one of the things I gotta I, I gotta say is, is writing about a serial killer must have its own challenges. I mean, what type of research did Judith do? Uh, you know, to make the story believable and unnerving. Yeah, well, so Judith, in all her writing, ha- loves to doing research. I mean, she she could just live on the computer doing doing research. And, of course, she's an avid reader, so there's a lot that's circulating in her head. But um, so in, in this, uh, I won't say she was obsessed, but she was very keen uh, to be accurate in her work when she's talking about serial killers and the pathology and what drives them, et cetera. So internet and reading, as I said, um, I think one of the more interesting things is that there on YouTube, you can actually find interviews serial killers has given um, a number of these where she got as close as she could to seeing the coldness, the calculating nature and the prideful sense uh, these serial killers have when they go about things that, and, you know, she, she didn't work statistics into what she did, but she came across all of these great statistics that just kind of influenced how she wrote this. Like the first serial killer known is this guy, H H Holmes in the late 1800s who, um, killed uh well he was known to have killed at least 27 people there were estimates that he had killed over 200 um he was a new hampshire native that uh made fame being around the chicago uh, uh world's fair and having this house of horror uh and the first so the first documented serial killer in um in the u.s she you know fortunately i think uh she says that uh, since that time, there have been about 3,600, only 3,600 serial killers, but that still means about 30 a year, about one in every 10 million people. So it's not very common, right. but the fascination that people have with it is is something. And and importantly, that you know, North America has the largest number around the world, and uh, the U.S. certainly has the largest number within that. And these and these people have problems in their childhood that lead to them acting out in this way, if you will. Um, 
So, um, and, and then the other area she got into to really drive this was the subliminal messaging, right? That, that this TED talk that she heard about subliminal messaging, uh, it was just fascinating and building on how that's done, you know, going back to when people were putting uh, micro frames into movies to get people to buy popcorn and, and when you came in or, or candy bars uh, to subtleties in in advertising like the Amazon swish or the swish under the Amazon label goes from the A to the Z to suggest you're getting everything you want from A to Z, right? Nice. You know, so she's just fascinated by how people try and influence people without them knowing it. And, and she just uh, found that combining these things in a serial killing setting where you're not quite sure who the serial killer is. I will say that, uh, I think has, has worked very well. Very much so. Very much so. And that's, that's a, that's a powerful topic right there. That's subliminal messaging, you know, cause it kind of goes into the, the thought about, uh, what do you have control over and what don't you, when it comes to your own mind and, uh, mm-hmm. or somebody else have control over of your own mind. So, uh, Scary stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, the Huntsman is driven by unique characters, and you talked a little bit about this. Uh, you know, could you go into this a little bit more about character development? Does she create the characters to fit the storyline, or does she do something different, and are any of them Judith? <laughs> well, um, you know, as, as you said uh, early on, these are the, her characters become collages uh, of real people struggling through their lives, you know. Um, she, she does give her character, like, as I said earlier, she gives them everything they need to be a real person in your, in your mind as you're reading. Um, but she does give them attributes that add to the story, right? She especially, and she especially enjoys adding minor characters who, you know, might be the comic relief, if you will, because you just can't stay intense all that time, right? You, you need to have the breaks from some of the intensity. Um, and so all of the characters uh, are, are really there to enhance, from my perspective, the, to the kind of emotional responses that you're looking for in the reader to ensure the reader sees and understands these characters as people, not as just characters, you know, that they have dimensions to them and really help you kind of tear. I think she's described between once as taking people on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster that we all go through in our daily lives. Um, and, And then from my point of view, of course, to your question about are any of these Judith, um, you know, there's a nurse in the Huntsman who plays a critical role, uh, you know, going outside the bounds of nursing to try and influence this guy with the subliminal messaging. And um, other than that, the fact that Judith did work for a short time in a facility for the criminally insane, the similarities to me stop there. Now I will admit um, and I don't, although I don't think Judith would on, on an interview, um, if there are deeper connections to any other characters in the Huntsman, uh, she's yet to confess any of that to me. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's good stuff. I, well, I love the characters and, uh, they, they really, they, they really come alive. It's just, it's really cool. Uh, you know, the, one of the things that I, I gotta make sure we talk about is, you know, 
The Huntsman uses imagery, language, and characters to make the reader want to keep reading. I mean, what is it that she does to keep the reader engaged? I mean, because I got to tell you, when I, when I started reading, so I read that prologue and I, and I started moving forward. And the next thing I know is I was deep into the book because <laughs> I didn't want to stop. And mm-hmm. I think that's cool. And I, I was just wondering if, you know, if that's something consciously that she's doing to make that happen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as as a reader, and and she and I talked about this when she first started writing. She she reads a lot of books, but she she would often put a book down. She got partway through, and it really wasn't grabbing her attention, or she knew what was going to happen. And yes, it happened the way she did, and she was, you know, it it was boring that way. She wanted to be on the edge all the time in in books she read. So when it came to writing, that's basically what she's trying to do is to keep people engaged and wondering what's going to happen next. So, and she does that through a number of ways. One is how she, where she starts and ends chapters. Um, and, and she forced herself in this case to write a 10 chapter book to get it all there. And, and, you know, something somebody could read in, in one night if they, if they felt like it. Um, but the other the other thing she does, I mentioned all of these notes she writes, and and I think I mentioned earlier she keeps a list of what ifs. So when she's writing or rereading, and by the way, she'll reread or let word reread back to her. So she's listening like she's listening to an audiobook. Um, she's not only proofing, but she's, you know, her imagination is going and she's Im- imagining other things a character might do a really uh, great story we talk about all the time with with friends is when she was writing crescent Vale, the first book uh she was off in her room writing and i was uh in the other room and all of i hear all of a sudden i heard her yell stop it and i come running into the room what's wrong what's wrong and she says to me, my character wants to go this way, and I want him to go the other way. So while she's typing, the words started to come out differently than nice. what she wanted. And, and it's just, you know, it's her, her active mind. And so, you know, she, uh, but but she takes those instances. And as I said, if, she's, if she just sees it as a possibility, she'll write it down. And then when she goes back through it, she may say, well, what did I say could happen here? And if she's bored in the second or third, fourth reading, she might throw a twist into it. And now she's got to go fix the rest of the book to fit the new twist. Um, but that's that's what she tries to do. She tries to imagine herself as a reader, not just a writer. That is so awesome. And it works. It works. It works. It works. I, You know, you talked briefly about this. I just kind of wanted to come back to it in case somebody wasn't really thinking what was going on. Um, you know, the, the characters share their story in a unique way and it's, it, it really is catchy because you're not used to this. It's not how uh, a lot of times books are written. And I, I think it's cool. Could you talk about this, what she does? Well, so I, I think uh, you're right in her early books, it was primarily third person. I mean, other than dialogue, right. Um, but I think she's always been impressed by authors like Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, and a, a number of others. I think Nora Roberts does this to some extent, uh, who succeed in mastering first-person writing. And and I say that because it's it's really difficult uh, to so that people understand 
whose perspective they're seeing and and when it switches right when you switch from one person to another especially if it happens in the same chapter um so uh she she had this as a goal when she wrote this book um you know she wanted that and i think she she kind of sees her novels as they progress like i said she she's visualizing this as she's writing and she writes to show not just to you know throw words on a page or impress somebody with her vocabulary so using first person style again from this visual perspective and and you said it yourself having read it you know you're seeing yourself through the movie right you're seeing yourself walking in max's shoes or or in lincoln's field um and and i think putting the thoughts of the characters front and center as they walk through the story she really hopes to create that imagery that we talked about um that she has in her mind she's trying to recreate that in your mind although you know she understands you're you're going to be influenced by everything else in your character uh, that allows you to interpret things one way or another but uh, nonetheless she's really trying to get you in the character's shoes and i think the, the the reviews she's had and the comments we've had you know like can't put it down or um have really um uh, validated that so much so i mean i've read a lot of those comments and they're they're all in that uh um time frame of giving her kudos for the uh the the idea that they can't put it down that it's an unnerving story or made it feel um like they were part of it or, or sensing what was going on, the twists and the turns and things that might happen, or as they're trying to figure it out, they've been shown that that's not exactly where this is going. And, and uh, it just, it, to me, it just shows that they're engaged in it. And so her writing is, it just sucks you into the, into that world. And uh, it's just cool. I, I think it's awesome. And I think a big part of that is the way they, that first person just really, really works for her. Uh, you know, one of the things I've always heard that something a thriller writer has to do is avoid backing themselves, you know, their story into a corner. Uh, could you talk about what this means and how Judith might have worked to avoid this in her story, The Huntsman? Yeah, so I, I think what I said about these what ifs, you know, again, she sees if I'm going into a corner, I got, I have to have a way to get out. But, but also, I think one thing that's critical in the way Judith approaches what she does is she tries to avoid the the last minute introduction of a new character who might be let's say an eyewitness that's brought in that yes. solves the crime or a piece of evidence that shows up you know that, and that just kind of ties the bow right so rather than do that because that's always disappointing uh from her perspective that she didn't get a chance to figure it out right um uh she may insert or does insert subtle clues along the way that maybe become the aha recollection that someone has. Oh, I remember that this happened, right? Um, now, deciding which ones are important to that aha moment, you know, is the challenge for the readers. And we've had uh, uh, one person so far who saw one of these ahas that uh, she was uh, she had in there, but uh, a lot of people have missed it. It's, it's so awesome that she does that because that's something that I, I'm totally fooled. You know, so I usually I go to the end and I'm going like, I got to go back and see, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I, yeah, I read right through that. Or I, I saw that and didn't, didn't realize, didn't connect it or the, the, uh, the idea of how much 
leverage that has in the story or something like that. And I think that's cool. I, I like to be fooled by the writer. So it's uh, as opposed to everything. Actually, I think she likes, you know, she's not the fastest reader herself. And, and I think it's kind of, she does this in a sense to slow the reading down, if you will, yeah. to make people absorb all of what's in there, not just get to the end. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it makes, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, like you go see a movie and, uh, um, they sum up things at the end and you go, what? And as they go back through things and you're, you're like, Oh yeah. And you know, it's when you can figure out something like that. Um, and instead you're, or you're caught off guard instead is a cool thing because when you can figure it out, that means it's, it kind of unveiled itself to you too much. And, uh, that's not what the Huntsman's like. <laughs> so, which is really cool. I, uh, Frank, this has been awesome talking with you. I got a couple of questions I want to ask you to, um, as we get ready to finish up. But before we go there, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with Judith and, or, and or learn more, where would you send them? So, uh, you know, you mentioned judithsandersbooks.com has a lot of information about where to get the book and, and some blogging and some other bits there. I, you know, I'd be glad to offer an email that just she and I read for people who might be interested in other conversations or interviews or if they have a book club and that's sanderspub at gmail.com s-a-n-d-e-r-s p-u-b at gmail.com uh we're the only ones that look at that and we don't sell anything we get uh just people you know who are interested in learning more or might have a book club where they want to uh have her join a zoom that is awesome. I will include this information in the show notes, so it'll be easy for him to find and uh, get out, reach out to you guys. Um, cool stuff. I, all right, so last two questions I got for you, and the first one goes like this. Is there such a thing as writer's block, and what can you do to stop staring at a blank page with no thoughts pop out to, about what to write? Yeah, so it absolutely exists, and it's certainly uh, something that Judy has experienced, although it it's rare because in her mind, or, or in her experience, it only happens when she's unhappy. She can't concentrate on what she's doing because something else is bothering her. So she has to do something to get rid of that distract, you know, to, to get rid of that unease or stress. Uh, so she'll do something that's distracting, playing pickleball is something we go out and do, or, um, you know, watching a little bit of television or reading a, a good book. Um, just to, or, or resolution of what's making her unhappy. Uh, I will say that uh, occasionally there's a glass of sherry involved um, just to take the edge off and get her back to the table. But it may be the next day that she goes back, you know, when the weather's changed, the sun's out, uh, something like that. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Uh, last question for you. Do you, do you guys have a teacher in your past? Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Yeah, well, uh, Judith's favorite and most influential uh, mentor was a fellow by the name of Dr. Scagliata. Um, her sixth, and it ended in an A, not an O, uh, but it, it, this was her sixth and eighth grade science teacher uh, in school. And he was always in, encouraging her to achieve, to overcome the out, obstacles in her life, like, oh, girl, girls can't do this, right? She She grew up a number of years ago when girls couldn't do a lot of things, right? They weren't allowed to be on a boy's team or something. And he just 
uh, he he was a real inspiration for her. She he left teaching in the public schools to create a school for deaf children. Uh, he had a deaf daughter, and um, I think his life story, and we talk about him a lot and often, was a critical model for her tenacity and her desire to make a difference in people's lives. He's no longer with us. Uh, he died a few years ago, um, and and that was a sad time for us. But um, I think that was uh, that's the one person that she always mentions. And, and, and related, I just wanted to mention, you know, for your listeners that all the proceeds from this book, uh, the sales of the Huntsman actually go to a local organization that's dedicated uh, to the treatment of women suffering from violent acts uh, who seek help. And uh, they work to educate uh, the community in prevention of violence uh, against others. And it's something that Judith has always been committed to. Uh, and and the proceeds from this book allow us to support that organization. That is awesome. Very cool. Uh, yeah, Frank, thank you so much for sharing Judith's book, The Huntsman. It's been great talking with you. I hope that Judith's doing well. I wish her well. Um, the book is amazing. It's really cool. It's thrilling. It's suspenseful. Um, the reader's not going to want to put it down because I know I didn't. And uh, it is so cool. Um, Wishing you the best in all, all you guys do. Thank you very much. It's great talking to you, Steve. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.